Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Tone the Slab Pitching with David Cohn. It's episode number 107, to be exact. We talk pitching and some other stuff with the five-time World Series champ, David Cohn, the ace of research, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle. We have our phenomenal producer, Dan Work, with us as well. And guys, I want to start off this week with a shout-out. Uh, Adam Wainwright, winding things down in an amazing career, picked up his 200th career victory on Monday night. Seven scoreless innings over the Brewers. So uh, a shout-out for Wainwright on the way to 200 victories. And I, I feel like we're in this age where... A lot of people say, hey, wins don't m- matter much anymore. But when you ask pitchers, well, they definitely mean something to them. So what does a nice round number like 200 wins mean here for Wainwright? They, they matter in numbers. When you get to a big number, they matter. That just shows that uh, he, he's been around a long time and put himself in a position to win that many games. So, you know, I, I say the larger the sample size, the, the more important it becomes. And uh, he deserves his due. One of the great pitchers of his generation. Certainly, when you think about greatest curveballs of all time, I think Burt Blylevin, I put Adam Wainwright in that category. Just a beautiful thing to watch. You know, there's, there's nothing more more pretty than a be- beautiful, big, you know, yellow hammer curveball that to watch. I think even when you're live at the stadium and seeing it, you can d- differentiate between that big hook. So he's got one of the prettiest curveballs of all time. I put him right up in there with uh, in that Burt Blylevin category. Good old Uncle Charlie, and and you mentioned a, a live crowd seeing it. You even get the the nice ooh when the when the pitch <laughs> drops in there. Uh, Wainwright hitting the milestone, a little bit of a stagger to the finish line. But I think all the all baseball fans that were wrapped up in it on Monday just appreciated that Wainwright did it with a great game against a good team. And kudos to Ryan Helsley because now you know a few complete games it takes a village. Ryan Helsley four out save to lock it down in a one nothing win. As far as the you know the the new age thinking around wins, I think there is a pushback against wins as a judgment of a pitcher in a very in a, in the short term. You know, so and so didn't get the win today, or this guy only has eight wins this season. But there's no denying when you when you get further out and you're talking about career milestones, two hundreds a big deal, two fifty, and you look at the active list: Verlander, two fifty five, Granky winding it down 224 max scherzer 214 clayton kershaw 209 wainwright fifth guy to hit 200 but beyond that it's going to be a while until we get another 200 game winner because you know johnny cueto 144 is next up and and he's winding things down i think the next guy is going to be garrett cole but he we got a while to wait for him because he's at 143 yeah, I know within the two years of us doing the podcast too, I mean, even reach higher with with 300, like we were talking about Justin Verlander, that, that pace is slow down too. I think he's right around 255. 255, yeah. So that pace is definitely slowed down. Um, maybe maybe we got to temper, obviously we have to temper our expectations with 200 wins, but yeah, Garrett Cole, uh, it's going to be a while before we, we potentially see that again. My question here, and I don't know how far-fetched this is, uh, do we see Adam Wainwright on a mound again, fellas? I mean, seven scoreless innings. We saw the curveball against the Brewers in this start. It's like James said, it's been tough sledding to the finish line. Um, he he picks up win number 200 here. There's one more home series for the Cardinals. I'm looking at their schedule right now. It's the final series of the regular season for them. Is that the last start Wainwright makes? Do you think he goes out on top? you think he should go out on top like that? That's an interesting point. I know that... 
you know, he's got a concert. He's got a music career. He's a country singer and, and a writer. And he's going to do a little concert there after the last game at home. So <clears throat> maybe he does make some sort of an appearance in that game as a pitcher, as a sort of to say goodbye to the home home crowd. I know, you know, he's one of the most aware you know, in terms of his surroundings, you know, his his level of awareness is as high as anybody in the game right now, maybe anybody he's ever played with. So he, he reads the tea leaves and maybe he'll make that decision then and decide to go ahead and, you know, at least have a proper send off to the home crowd. And, and it's much deserved. Whichever way it goes, you know, I'm fine with either way. But, yeah, it's an interesting question. And, I'm, you know, it might be a game time decision for him. Well, whatever it is, it'll be up to him 100 percent. And for a guy finishing up his career like that, maybe, you know, pitching on Monday, maybe not prepared. This is going to be the last time I pitch if I get this win. So maybe in that last series of the season against the Reds at home, maybe he does make an appearance. This is a little bit of a maybe a silver lining to the the downtrodden season that the Cardinals have had is that the it's lower stakes and you can kind of make. Uh, make this farewell built all around goodbye to Adam Wainwright. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I don't think he needs any pointers from anybody here, but how about you go out the way he came in, make a bullpen appearance on that last day of the season, the way he came in in 2006, that, that would be cool. And then, yeah, he goes and performs <laughs> right after. So uh, yeah, congratulations to Adam Wainwright, 200 victories, a, a terrific accomplishment there for one of the great guys in baseball. We're, we're going to miss him when his career is officially over here. And uh, the Cardinals season ends again on October 1st. They have that one more home series but great tip of the cap for that scene in st louis on monday night where wainwright earned his 200th career victory uh, lots to do as we look ahead to the postseason got two full weeks left of baseball to go and that's that's it um two you know two full weeks of games not even two full weeks on the calendar um before we get to all that david the opener as we do each and every week something kind of off the field but still in the grand scheme of things and for the future of baseball, I know you have something that you want to talk about here with the opener this week. What do you have? Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm not sure people on the inside might have known this was coming, but I think a lot of people were a little bit surprised. And the stadium issues are surrounding the, the Tampa Bay Rays have been going on for a long time. And people tried to figure it out. And most people had them leaving the, the Tampa Bay area, really the St. Petersburg area. But no, they've got a deal done for a stadium. It, it's going to be right next door to the TROP. Is going to be part of a redevelopment program down there in St. Petersburg, Florida. I love St. Petersburg, Florida. I think it's a cool little, cool little niche city in in, in Florida. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. A lot of people thought maybe that demographically, or certainly from the location, it was harder to get to. Maybe a, more towards Tampa would be better, but it's not. It's 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 solved. So it makes you look at the future of baseball. And we've heard the commissioner uh, Manfred talk about. Once we solve Oakland and once we solve Tampa Bay, then we'll talk about expansion. Well, looks like maybe those conversations are going to be had. My predictions are, I think Nashville, Tennessee is probably the number one contender to get an expansion franchise moving forward. 
And the second one's kind of still a little bit up in the air. There's there was a lot of talk of Portland, Oregon at one point, but I think Salt Lake City, Utah, might have moved ahead. So that's my handicap right now. That expansion will be on the horizon. We will get two new teams, and Nashville will be one, and Salt Lake City will be the other. You know, we're kind of overdue for expansion, and you look at how population growth and the talent pool in the game has grown over the last several decades. We were, this is the 25 years since the last time. The league expanded with the Diamond with the Diamondbacks and the Rays in 1998. So a quarter century later, expansion will eventually be on the table. And we've heard Nashville so much over the last few years, but Salt Lake kind of a bit of a dark horse coming out of nowhere, right? Definitely, uh, you know, and and also, you know, I, I, that's not to say Portland's not still in it. You need a team out west. You know, Seattle needs a friend. They're up there kind of by themselves, <laughs> right? Way up there. In, in the Upper West Coast. So, yeah, you, if you're talking about realignment moving forward yeah, and trying to trying to get things settled into maybe not so much of a traditional National American League setup, but more of a demographically speaking setup that makes sense for travel, you need somebody out there west. You need a team out west somewhere that, that'll, uh, that'll give Seattle a friend. Instant rivalry. Yeah, they have no choice. Uh, <laughs> with, with the Rays, yeah, it's, it's not Tampa. Um, didn't seem like the city wanted wanted a, a stadium deal done uh so it is st petersburg and i think it's going to be a little bit different than the current situation with the trap you don't know what the surrounding area around a new ballpark is going to be like but i think the future is bright in that regard bottom line though a new ballpark it's a destination so i think it's gonna uh bring more traffic that way and also you know the the three rings the speakers and the trap and tropicana <laughs> field you're going to be able to do away with all that so the reputation of a place like tropicana field goes away with a shiny new ballpark so uh, finally after what 16 17 years there's finally a resolution seems like baseball in the tampa bay st pete area is there to stay i'm with you coney i like st petersburg a lot um but that, yeah i'm looking forward to expansion yeah salt lake city like I, I see it once you bring it up, but I, you know, it's definitely, definitely wasn't on the radar uh, before then. Very interesting. All right, let's take a look at what's going on here with some of these teams in contention. But before we do, one quick toss up, gentlemen, to get us going here. Uh, Shohei Otani, his season's done. Uh, everyone for about 15 hours was thinking the worst when his locker was cleared out on, on a Saturday night, thinking that he left the team. No, the oblique injury is going to completely shut him down here. So Otani's last game played this season was on September the 4th. He'll essentially have missed a full month of action here, yet still the front runner for the AL MVP, right? I just want to check with you two. I think so. I think he's done enough on both sides of historically speaking it's going to be up there with one of the old all-time great seasons i think um until he gets healthy again and does it again on down the road and gets back into the pitching shape but yeah i think it's hard to go against somebody that's that's it's such a has been such a trailblazer and shohei otani and done things that we're still kind of processing how is he doing this how how did he possibly do those two things at once and yeah so yes but my my guess is uh he's still the front runner Yes, the end. Now, um, I think an, an interesting thought experiment might be, well, okay, everyone kind of agreed that he's locked up the AL MVP, you know, early on. But then you start to think, well, theoretically, how far back would you have to go in order for him to still be the MVP? Like if this happened 
in early August instead of early September? Would he still get it? Would it be mid-August or, or whatever it is? This guy has had an unbelievable season and whether or not he plays out the string the last few weeks with, with the uh, moribund Angels uh, is it's kind of uh, after it's already signed, sealed, and delivered. I wonder what the cutoff date would be for you, James, like where you start to get uncomfortable about Otani not being the MVP. That's a good way to look at it for sure. More Tone of the Slab is coming up. People, I need to tell you about a special offer from DraftKings because the NFL season is officially here. We've partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the National Football League, to bring all new customers an exciting way to join in on the action right now. New customers, download the DraftKings app, use the promo code SLAB, S-L-A-B, fetches five bucks, and boom, $200 in bonus bets hit your account instantly. That's right, new customers who bet only $5 will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Staying on the action, use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays, combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry, you can still get another fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use the promo code SLAB, again, S-L-A-B, betches five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Okay, we're getting closer to the, the finish line here with the regular season. And David, you got a closer look this past weekend at two teams right in the thick of that NL wildcard race. It's like a war of attrition here between the the D-backs, the Cubs, the, the Reds, the Marlins. The Giants are still kind of hanging on two games back now, but right in the thick of it, Arizona and Chicago, they went head-to-head this past weekend. You had the call on Sunday night. What were your thoughts on the pitching staffs for the D-backs and Cubs after an up-close look? You know, I th- I really feel like the Cubs are deeper. They have more pieces to the puzzle, even though they they look like they, they're, they're stumbling at the end here and the Diamondbacks offensively are really picking it up. Corbin Carroll is legit. What a great player. What a fun team to watch. Their athleticism and their speed is what is what really struck me as, as kind of carrying them. But they're short pitching wise. I mean, other than you know Zach Gallen, who's a, a Cy Young candidate, he's great. Love watching him pitch. Uh, Merrill Kelly's a, a veteran after my own heart. He's kind of reinvented himself. Uh, really a craftsman out there. Understands how to pitch. Love watching him pitch. But beyond that, their rotation really is kind of plug and play and the different pieces and, and nobody really that that's established themselves. And, uh, you know, actually what their bullpen has been saved by Ryan Thompson, the, the reliever from the Rays for all those years has come over to Arizona and kind of saved them in the bullpen down there. So they're a little short pitching wise, but offensively and athleticism, they're, they're off the charts. When you look at the Cubs, you know, Marcus Stroman's an X factor. He's back, but he's pitching in relief. Do they have enough time to get him, you know, uh, up to speed in terms of pitch count to be back in the rotation. But Justin Steele's a Cy Young candidate. Uh, Jordan Wicks, we saw pitch Sunday night. I was impressed. Young lefty with a really good changeup. Didn't have his best start. Gave up three in the first, but kind of settled down a little bit. Kept them in the game. I think he's impressive. So you got a couple lefties there in Justin Steele and, and Jordan Wicks. And then Kyle Hendricks is another guy that love watching pitch. A real craftsman, not a high velocity guy by any means. Uh, kind of Greg Maddox light, so to speak, you know, his style of pitching. So I think they probably have, uh, you know, probably more depth. Javier Assad has done a good job for them uh, in limited time, about nine games started. So the edge is to the Cubs. 
in terms of pitching, but offensively and athleticism wise, boy, the D backs are, are, are better than you think they are. And Corbin Carroll, if you haven't seen him play, he's a lot better than you think he is, or he's a must watch kind of a player in his rookie season. He's going to be the rookie of the year in the national league. This may be a, a make or break week for the Cubs because they're playing the Pirates and the Rockies. They need to take care of business here. The D-backs have a chance to stick a fork in the Giants. Uh, they're playing them beginning on, on Tuesday night. Then they go to New York against the Yankees. But for for the Cubs, this is a huge week. Playing two below 500 teams and trying to keep pace here after scuttling just a little bit here. Uh, all right. Another team in the NL West, not the Arizona Diamondbacks, but the team at the top of the division, the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, they continue to win. They captured another NL West crown. But I think more than ever now, guys, their pitching plans for a postseason are as up in the air as they probably ever been over the last decade or so. After watching Monday's game with Lance Lynn against the Tigers, Lynn looked good early on, but then again, teetered off. He's given up 40-plus home runs this season. And I take a look at after the Dodgers get a bye here and then the division series starts, like what is this L.A. rotation going to look like? What are your thoughts there on a potential Dodgers rotation for a division series? Well, it, it all centers around Clayton Kershaw and is his shoulder healthy? And is he healthy, really? And he's back, but it's it's been a little spotty for him so far. And we may get him on Sunday night. Next Sunday night, we're we're in LA for the Giants and Dodgers, and we're hoping we're going to get us uh, get a chance to see Clayton Kershaw. But really, right now, Bobby Miller's kind of the guy, right? I mean, even though he's a rookie, he throws 100 miles an hour. He's really established himself. He's really kind of uh, separated himself a little bit. So beyond that. You 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 kind of figure that Lance Lynn will get a start. He almost has to. He's healthy. He's an innings eater. He's had trouble keeping the ball in the ballpark, obviously, because he challenges so many guys. He's a fastball dominant pitcher, old school. Here it is, hit it, and sometimes they do. Sometimes it goes over the wall, and that happens to guys who challenge uh, hitters with a lot of fastballs at the time, especially four seamers that are up in the zone. So, yeah, I, I it all centers around Clayton Kershaw. Bobby Miller will get a start. Uh, they could um, they could actually do an opener type strategy in LA for one of those starts in postseason, depending on if it's it's the four start. If they need a four starter, that's where it comes up in the air about you know uh, who who they feel the the matchups are and and what works best for them. But I wouldn't be surprised to see an opener strategy from the Dodgers if they need a four starter. Lance Lynn taking a turn for the worse. We were uh, singing his praises after, shortly after the uh, the deal. A 2.03 ERA in his first five starts. Last four, 8.57 ERA. Clayton Kershaw, he is the fulcrum, as as Coney was was getting to. Kershaw, a 2.52 ERA this year, but a 4.06 fielding independent pitching. So, which Kershaw are we gonna get? It's he seems to be struggling to get deeper into games now as we wind down the season, but he is going to be the, the guy with the ball in his shoe for game one, I'm sure. Bobby Miller, we've talked about him this year as being a potential uh, multi-inning bullpen ace uh, in, in a postseason run, but there's so much attrition in the rotation that he's probably going to have to get a start. Lynn, almost uh, by default, gets a start. Ryan Pepio uh, is, an, is an option, and I think there is going to be this sort of uh, many hands make light work sort of thing for those games two, three, four, where they're, you know, they have a good bullpen, a deep bullpen. Their, uh, their bullpen ERA is three, five, five, and that's third in the majors behind the Yankees and Brewers. So maybe the bullpen can 
can help carry the load there on the pitching staff. The Dodgers, this is kind of foreign territory for L.A. because for decades and decades, so much of baseball history is about great starting pitching with the Dodgers. You have the, the recent years with Kershaw and Walker Bueller going back earlier when they had Zach Granke, Kevin Brown, even when the teams weren't that good, Oral Hershiser, Fernando Valenzuela, Don Sutton, Tommy John, Koufax, and Drysdale, on and on. They, The Dodgers have a 4.60 starting rotation ERA. That is 19th in the majors, and it is the highest for the Dodgers franchise since 1944. Dave Roberts is going to have to put it together with scotch tape and glue. Yeah, and maybe a, a rabbit out of a magic hat too. Uh, Lance Lynn, the irony in all this, Coney, you mentioned it, like he pitches deep into games. Maybe that's not the best plan uh, and approach for him in a postseason game. But like you said, you don't know what you're going to get from Kershaw. And you, Bobby Miller looks like your best conventional starting pitching option. So do you do you ask more from the bullpen with a guy like Lance Lynn on the mound? Or do you maybe trust him to just only maybe get those 12, maybe to 15 outs in in a playoff game. It's interesting, you know, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, you know, you know how I like diversity. We've talked about, you know, stylistically speaking, you know, different styles of pitching, I think, play off of each other. A piggyback start with Lance Lynn and Ryan Yarborough would be interesting to me. Uh, Yarborough, we know him from the race for years. Soft toss and lefty, but really good command, changes speeds, very deceptive. You know, I, I like him in that mix somewhere in a piggyback start or maybe even as an opener or something in that strategy just because of the the nature of his style and that finesse lefty coming off of a fastball righty, I think, is an interesting uh, thought, uh, you know, to to uh, to put those two skill sets together and kind of see if that if that has a, a deceptive impact on opposing batters. All right, out of the teams that will be getting buys, gentlemen, both the AL and the NL, which squad's projected playoff rotation do you think is the best at this moment? Wow, you, you, you in both leagues? You mean just uh... you could pick? You could pick one. You could give one for each league. Whatever yeah. you want to do. I mean, I feel like it's, it's a toss-up if we just leave it for one team only. Yes. But maybe not. Yeah. No. No, yeah. I mean. I still believe in Justin Verlander, his track record in Houston. Um, you know, and you need Fromber Valdez on the you know on the heels of that. I think stylistically, once again, those two match up so well. It's such a different look. The seven-foot release point uh, window that Verlander has and his pedigree and the fastball style that he has. Uh, and then Fromber Valdez and that sinker curveball style from the left side following him up. So I, I still think you know, Houston, you know, is a team to contend with in terms of their rotation. It all is predicated on Justin Verlander and is, is he Justin Verlander? But I believe in him and his track record and his postseason track record in particular has been a balance of power shifter. And we know that is from watching the Yankees over those years and what he did to the Yankees in postseason. You go back to that trade originally in 2017, that was one of the biggest balance of power shifters. I think we've seen from any pitcher that's been moved in recent memory. Well, I'm glad you went Houston because I'm going to go in another way. Uh, obviously, the Astros are the team to beat until someone dethrones them. But strictly starting pitching wise, as reliable as Justin Verlander is and as great as Framber Valdez is, a little more questions in the in the middle to back of the rotation there with Hunter Brown, Christian Javier uh, is a little confounding because he has a you know an ERA over four and a half, and you watch him pitch and you say, wow, how does anyone ever get a hit off this guy? He's been, it's been more of a struggle for him this year. I'm going with the Atlanta Braves. I don't think you can go wrong with Spencer Strider, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, 
as your top three. And then maybe in a game four, a Bryce Elder or a Kyle Wright. And they have a, a great bullpen, too, that's taken a little bit of a hit lately. But I think as far as the starting rotation goes, I think Atlanta has has the top one right now. Yeah, I think the the Braves are the chalk pick there. Um, I, uh, I don't know if I'm overthinking this, but I kind of tend to lean toward the way David was going. Like I'm, I'm inclined to lean in Houston's direction. Typically not the great season of starting pitching from their big guns in the rotation, but they're all there right now. I think that's the biggest point. Same thing with the Braves. Like they're all, they're all there. And that's, First and foremost, that's not the case with a team like the Dodgers, like we were just discussing. So with with Verlander at the top, once the calendar hits to October, I'll put trust into the pitchers that have kind of been in the situations that they're gearing up for right now. And again, the Braves are in a very similar spot. They've been in these situations as well, but um, I'm going with the Astros. Uh, So if they can hold on to that AOS crown, they get that by. uh, Yeah, I'm going to pick the Astros rotation. it's, It's tough to start to gravitate away from that at this moment. Um, it's, it's their time of year, right? And and they're sitting in the throne until they aren't. So I'll go Houston. Guys, what was, um, at, you know, as we kind of dissect these rotations, but then also take a look at the playoff races as a whole, it's really tough to find a pitching acquisition that was made at the deadline that put a team over the top here. Like really tough, whether it is in the rotation or the bullpen. I had a tough time. I'm wondering if you can pick one out at all. What was like the best pitching acquisition at the trade deadline? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. It, it almost remains to be seen, right? <laughs> There's a few more games to play here, and a, a couple of these teams get over the hump. I've got a surprise pick for you and, uh, you know, an old friend of ours. But just because of the way they have stumbled in Texas – and Max Scherzer's now out. How about Jordan Montgomery? He's really stepped up for them, really, since he left the Yankees. He's pitched very well. And this year in particular, as he raised down in the low threes, he's been banged up here and there. It's kind of typical Jordan, you know, a very consistent, but, you know, not, not flashy, not dominant, but very, very steady Eddie. Without him, where would Texas be? They really need Jordan Montgomery. If they get over the edge and hang on here, Jordan Montgomery might be the most impactful guy they have just because he's been consistent and he's there and stayed healthy. That was going to be my pick there, Coney. So Monty has a three, two, nine ERA and nine starts with Texas. I think he's been everything they could have hoped for and more, but the way things have gone for the Rangers down the stretch here, they had that four, great four game sweep in Toronto, but beyond that. So you have uh, on Monday night against the, the, the Red Sox, Monty seven strong, one run, no walks, eight Ks, leaves with a 2-1 lead. And then Will Smith comes in and the Red Sox blow up for three runs in the inning to win the game and another brutal loss for the Ranger bullpen. But I think Monty's the best guy there, and it's a little bit of a, a struggling to find a pick there because you look at some of the other guys, and Lucas Giolito, uh, Jack Flaherty, these guys have been disasters. And it's hard to to pin down. We, and we even mentioned before with Lance Lynn, how he started off really good and he's been 
bad the last few turns for the Dodgers. But I think the biggest thing to take away here is that we still have not only a few starts left for two, three starts left for each of these guys. We're also going to have a postseason run for several of these pitchers starting and relieving. So is there going to be a hero that comes through and you look at, you know, an ALDS and an NLCS run or something, you say, okay, well, this guy, he struggled down the stretch, but he came through in the postseason. Call me crazy guys before I give my pick. Cause I just want to uh, expand a little bit here on, on Jordan Montgomery. Like if the Rangers get in and Montgomery just continues to do what he's doing here, he's a free agent is like a hundred million in the question, you know, is it is that in the equation here for Montgomery as he reaches free agency? Depending on the number of years, no, I don't think that's out of the question at all. I think he's proved himself in big markets and postseason, and absolutely. And depending on how he finishes up, this is a big deal for Jordan Montgomery to prove his worth. And right there where he he sits is a good spot for him too. And they've got money to spend, and they they are uh, in within their window. I guess the uh, the operative phrase everybody likes to talk about. We're in our window. Texas's windows right there. They spent the money. They're waiting for Degrom to get back from from uh, Tommy John surgery at some point. Now Max Scherzer, who knows what's going on with that? So yeah, there, there's a big need in Texas for starting pitching because they score a ton of runs. He, I think he might be home right there, and they should ante up, especially if he comes through for them down the stretch. And then if they get to postseason, you know, maybe he has a couple of big starts in postseason. He'll be going into his age 31 season next year. Uh, Jamison Tyone got 68 and Taiwan Walker got 72 uh, last year's and they were around the same age, give or take a year. So possibly, and I think he is uh, making himself some money down the stretch here. And uh, obviously we'll see what happens in postseason. but if you're the Rangers, you got a bird in the hand. So maybe you do run it back with him. Yeah, I think Jordan Montgomery can can make some serious coin here, just being what he already is, just that steady presence for a team's rotation. Because, again, the way we're talking right now, it's kind of tough to find that that steadiness within certain teams' rotations. A little bit shaky. I'm going to go with a reliever. I'm going to go with Jordan Hicks. I uh, probably would have went with Montgomery if you guys didn't, didn't uh, – choose Montgomery but again this is part of the question because it's really tough to find a big uh, trade deadline acquisition I'll go with Hicks kind of setting up nicely for for Jordan Romano in Toronto but again the Blue Jays have to make it here uh, to the postseason but overall sub three ERA a one whip right on the nose Uh, I'll go with Jordan Hicks there kind of stabilizing himself and the back of that Blue Jay bullpen Um, two two teams guys over the last two weeks Two premier large market teams, whatever you want to call them, they recently made executive decisions. They changed their leadership at the top for their baseball operations. Mets with David Stearns, the Red Sox parting ways with Heim Bloom. So they're in their search for a new president of baseball operations. Which team has the more difficult path back to prominence here, do you think? The Mets or the Red Sox? Uh, they both present, you know, unique problems, both large markets, both high expectations. But I would say that the Red Sox will have a harder path forward because, you know, they have to replace a couple of guys. I mean, the, on the Mets side, you know, Billy Epler's still in place. And I assume Buck Showalter is going to be brought back, although that's not, a, that's not a foregone conclusion. But I think David Stearns and Billy Epler are already in place right there. Um, Stearns is, his background speaks for itself. New York city kid, Mets fan growing up, grew up in Manhattan. Uh, I think that's a perfect fit. I think he'll hit the ground running 
probably already has. Whereas the Red Sox are still in search mode. They need, you know, a president of baseball operations and they need a GM the way that front offices are set up in today's today's game. So, yeah, what, what does that mean? What does that mean for Alex Cora at, at that point moving forward? I know he's had some aspirations to be into the front office and run a team himself. I don't know if now's the time for that, but he certainly would be an interesting guy to talk to about that. So I think the Red Sox just have farther to go. Now, as far as their roster goes, yeah, even with that being said, I still – I think the Mets are better than you think. They have some, you know, their their catching situation with Alvarez was was solved this year. I, even though he struggled a bit down the stretch, he's still a very capable catcher, a young guy, exciting. I think he's the answer moving forward. I also think they have some some other prospects and that'll help augment what they have in place. And so I, I say right now, not by a long shot, but the Mets are a little bit ahead of the Red Sox in that regard. I think the Red Sox do have a tougher road. You look at the American League East versus the National League East. Could be more of a gauntlet in the AL East for the next several years. The rise of the Orioles, the Blue Jays aren't going away. The Yankees are right there. And I think also the other big thing is that I'm more confident in support from ownership on the Mets side. Um, The kind of forced austerity that John Henry and the Red Sox ownership have done over the last few years is a reason why they've taken a big step back and even just bringing in Heim Bloom right, right out of the gate. I'm hiring you to make you the guy to trade away Mookie Betts because we don't want to keep our best homegrown guy since Carl Yastrzemski. So I don't know what the kind of commitment you're going to get from ownership moving forward. Is this going to be like when they brought in Dombrowski? Hey, we're going to make big swings. We're going to, we're going to spend and we're going to try and win quick. I don't know what we're going to get there, but I think I am more confident in the Mets moving forward under David Stearns. Those are the two factors for me right there. You have the ownership situation with the Mets, a little bit of a different situation uh, than the Red Sox, at least on the surface. You know, Steve Cohen, pretty much since he arrived with Mets ownership, David Stearns has always been linked to this organization. They have their guy there. You know the support is going to be there. It feels like, okay, now we are, you know, we are in our lane. Let's take off here. And they can go. The other factor is the division. The AL East, completely different than the NL East. I know the Braves are at the top there. The Phillies are there as well. But it is nothing like the gauntlet of the American League East. So I think the Red Sox have a lot more work to do uh, getting everything in place there. And then you have to, uh, at the same time, uh, build all that spot with the notion that, hey, we are in baseball's toughest division. Uh, Mets don't have that they they kind of have the luxury of not being in the ALE. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna factor in the Mets right there. Um obviously another team that we pay close attention to, guys, that is in the AL East. It's the Yankees. And this kind of shocked me because over the weekend when they were in Pittsburgh, I looked down and I saw a, a 19 game stretch where the Yankees actually had the best record in baseball. They went 14 and five over over 19 games before losing on Sunday. So they played well since the final week of August here. And they just completed that 14-5 and stretch. Obviously, you want to finish strong here. The playoffs are a long shot. It's going to take a miracle. It could, honestly, I mean, they start a series with the Blue Jays on Tuesday night. If they lose one game, it's likely over. All this talk about a hope, a miracle, it goes right out the window. So you obviously want to finish strong. You want to avoid a losing season and just finish showing that you're, you're playing hard. So my question here is because We've heard Brian Cashman say a deep evaluation is coming. We've heard reports that ownership's going to do a deep dive with a third party about this organization. Should the last 12 games for the Yankees have any bearing on how deeply 
the organization evaluates itself on October 2nd, the day after the season? Short answer is no. Absolutely not. Brian Cashman's already declared this season a disaster in his press conference less than a month ago. Um, Hal Steinbrenner's talked about it too as well. That's that. That's what led him to sort of find an outside, find outside counsel, so to speak, to come in and do do this evaluation. And no, they, I think they really need to just before they make big decisions moving forward, evaluate their decision making process and make sure that they're all on the same page. Make sure that they have the right people in place because. One by one, for whatever reasons, every single big decision really hasn't worked out for for various reasons. And that's where the analysis comes in. Let, let's look at our process here. And I know the uh, the Yankees are very process driven. That's Brian Cashman prides himself on putting all these processes in place and, and hiring people around to give him the, all of this information in every single field, whether it's biomechanics, analytics, baseball people. You know, is there a is there a blind spot there? I think they need to find because the series of decisions that have been made, the big decisions that have been made recently have not worked out. They just haven't. And that, that needs to be addressed. It needs to be looked at. It needs to be dissected before they make big, big decisions moving forward because they have big, big decisions moving forward. They have some money coming off the payroll. They have, depending on you know how you look at it, it's 40 or 50 million coming off the payroll next year. And uh, there are people that, that uh, think, uh, you know, there's people making these decisions, the people advising Brian Cashman, that's where, you know, the rubber meets the road. And that's where the evaluation is going to have uh, happen. And uh, you can't really make decisions moving forward until you have this evaluation in place. I don't think specifically the last couple of weeks of the season here should have a bearing on that. But there are, you know, on the more micro level, you actually give Oswald Peraza a a good run to, to play every day and to really get a look at him. And he's played well lately. So the, on that level, there's things you want to see. Oswaldo Cabrera has played well down the stretch. Is he reestablishing himself as a potential utility man candidate for next year as possibly maybe a replacement for, he could be the new IKF and, and he can move around all around like that. So, and you want to get a look at Carlos Rodon, Rodon. you know, he, he's looked a lot better in these last few starts than he did earlier in the season. And can you look at that and say, okay, well, we are confident in our number two starter behind Garrett Cole going into 2024. I think if, hey, maybe they finish, what, nine and three over the last 12 games or so, they win 85 games. I think fans are weary of hearing, oh, well, you know, we we fell just short in the end. You know, we were, you know, only a couple of injuries. Obviously, we lost Aaron Judge for over 50 games. You know, that that's that's the reason why. They're they're kind of weary, in my opinion, that that could happen with a really strong finish. And and the deep dive may not necessarily be as deep as, Coney, as, as the, the reasons why you were explaining. They have big money decisions coming up with, at least within the next 12 months. You want to make sure that the right ideas are in place behind how you spend uh, that money. So I think... Uh, I, I don't believe, you know, depending on how they finish really strong, really, really weak again, individually on a micro level, I think the three biggest players to keep an eye on the last two weeks, James, like you mentioned, Peraza King and Rodon see how he finishes, but yeah, I don't, I don't see it having too much bearing on how they evaluate themselves. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Agreed completely uh, across the board, but nonetheless, this goes much deeper. This is a years, years long decision-making process, a series of moves that have been made that need to be sort of dissected again. And 
evaluated and in particular roster construction. And you guys know, I'm going to say it one more time because it bears repeating, but the diversity of the roster construction, both on the pitching and the hitting side, I think needs to be revisited. And somehow we got into this sort of a we're right-handed dominant lineup over the last several years. And the, you know, when you dig a little deeper, was it because, oh, well, our right-handed batters are power hitters and they go the other way. That's just not working. That didn't work. You know, that needs to be revisited and a new emphasis on diversity. And I know they signed Anthony Rizzo and just to, to split up the big righties, but is there enough there? And then moving forward, how do we how do we construct this roster with an eye towards a little more balance in in, in the lineup? And what led us down that road to having imbalance? And and what was the de- decision making on that along the way? And this goes back several years, and that's something that. You know, I think I think deserves a, a good second look at by outside counsel. Well, this is a chance to reset that, right? Because it's 2017, 18, 19, they're winning all these games. They're leading the major leagues in runs and they have all these great right handed hitters. So you say, OK, we have Aaron Judge. We have Giancarlo Stanton, Luke Voigt at the time, Labor Torres. They're all right handed, but we can't just get left handed for the sake of being left handed. We have to go get lefty hitters who are better than the guys that we already have. But as the offense has receded, now it's going to be easier to upgrade in certain positions with guys who are lefties or switch hitters. And when you had, you know, Luke Voigt had a few really good years here. And then when they got a chance to make a a move at first base, they went out and got a good lefty hitter in Anthony Rizzo. So I think that that possibility is there. So for this season's Yankees, really all that's left is try and finish with a winning record, avoid last place, go for that fourth place finish in the AL East. That kind of brings us to my closing point here. Guys, David, like you mentioned, you're going to be in L.A. for Dodgers-Giants Sunday night baseball this weekend. The the traditional rivalries, they're kind of lacking luster this season. Yankees-Red Sox, Cubs-Cardinals, Dodgers-Giants, it's kind of still there. There's a chance that the Dodgers could stick a fork in the Giants this weekend, and I know that there would be a lot of pride taken in that at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, if you're in a wild card race, you're happy you're in the National League this year. I mean, the Yankees would be right in the middle of a wild card race if it were they were in the National League. So, uh, yes, the you know the Giants are hanging on. Uh, they're actually getting healthy here at the right time too, in terms of offense. Mitch Haniger's back. Uh, their 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 lineup and the maneuverability that Gabe Kapler loves, the, the platooning, the shifting in mid-game, righty-lefty, taking advantage of the platoon situation. Uh, he's, he's done a great job with that. And on the pitching side, too, I know we mentioned this in past episodes, but he's kind of doing that on the pitching side, too, in terms of i got two good starters at the top. You know, I've got Logan Webb, I've got Alex Cobb, and then beyond that, I've got some three-inning guys that I'm going to mix and match with and do the same thing on the – on the uh, pitching side that I do on the offensive side and try to take advantage of platoon situations. So he's done a good job. The, the giants have done a really good job this year and they're still in it, but we'll see by the time we get to Sunday night, you know, we'll, we'll see because this thing changes every, every, every game, every two games, the win probability, the win expectancy, whatever you want to, whatever you want to target, that, that can change significantly with one win or one loss. And we saw that last Sunday night. The, the expect the playoff expectancy, the playoff odds for the Cubs dropped by like 15 or 20 percent over one loss to the Diamondbacks when they got swept. And the Diamondbacks uh, conversely went up by 10 to 15, almost 20 percent jump with just winning that one game. You know, baseball is amazing. You know, we have we're 150 games in with it with 162 games and we're still going to have 
three, four teams in the National League wildcard race. All those teams in the AL West, the, the AL wildcard scrum, they're all separated by a game here, a game and a half there. You need 162 to sort it all out, and it still might come down to tiebreakers. It's beautiful. You have five five teams going for two spots in that wild card race. It's absolutely what we want here over the final two weeks uh, of the season. So, yeah, Sunday night baseball, Dodger Stadium. That's where you could catch Coney. Uh, you're going to be on the Yankees Blue Jays series, right? Yankees have I a chance am. to really spoil the Blue Jays season right here. It's awesome. That's what it was all about. Six remaining games against the Blue Jays. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm working uh, the rest of the season except for the Diamondback series. So I'm gonna I'm gonna close it out. I'll be on the road trip in Toronto and KC as well. All right, we'll see you in person all the way then. Cool. Yep, sounds Check good. Check them out Sunday Night Baseball and on the games on Yes as well. For James Smythe, for David Cohn, I'm Justin Shackle. That'll do it for this episode. Again, please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you do not miss a beat with what we're streaming each and every week. Can't forget to give some love to our amazing producer, Dan Work, as well. So until next week, we will talk to you here on Tone Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. Thanks for joining us again. And as always, Tone Slab is a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.